You're listening to a Garden City Chapel podcast. For a complete list of podcasts, visit our website at www.gardencitychapel.com. Acts chapter 22, I'm preaching through the book of Acts this summer. And I realize that when you're here, you're thinking, this is the only week I'm here. And that happens to a lot of folks. There's some who come regularly. Others, they're here on vacation or on a retreat. And uh, if you're interested in the rest of the book of Acts, number one, it's in the Bible. So you can read it for yourself. But uh, you can also go to our website and hear on the podcast the the sermons that have come before uh, and the sermons that come afterwards. I want you to do something. Now that you found Acts chapter 22, I want you to look at your feet. The word for the day is feet. Some of you have on sandals and it's a little easier to see your feet. Some of you, if you've got ugly feet like me, you cover them up with socks and shoes. But the Bible says this. It says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news about good things. This morning I want to look at the testimony of the Apostle Paul. I don't know if you've ever been asked to share your testimony On Tuesday nights, we do a social here. We call it the gathering for the students that are on campus. And we always ask one of our staff to share their testimony. And I tell them about ten minutes, you know. And then I give them a pattern. A a testimony, especially about your salvation, should really have three parts. And don't overemphasize one part. Certainly don't emphasize the first part over the others. But the first part is, what was your life like before Christ? The second part is, how did you come to know Christ? And then the third part is, what's your life been like after Christ? And for some of us, that's been a long time, and that may take up a good bit. In fact, your testimony may mainly be about, let me just tell you what Jesus is doing in my life today. But if you've ever been intimidated, if you've ever thought, man, I I don't have a testimony, or I can't share my testimony, one of our staff, since they're not here anymore, I'll talk about them. One of them stood up, and he said something I've heard him, I've heard other guys say before, He said, well, you know, my testimony is not all that special. And I know what he means. What he means is, you know, his background may have not been, you know, he hadn't killed anybody or done anything to put him in prison or something. Listen, if you've come to faith in Jesus Christ, your testimony is special. And your testimony is your testimony. And if you've ever had the opportunity to share with somebody how they can come to know Christ, the most effective thing you can do is tell them your testimony. Just share your story. Here's what my life was like. Here's how I came to faith in Christ. And here's what my life's been like since then. And I want to walk through this passage in the Apostle Paul's life. Because Peter says this to us in 1 Peter chapter 3. He says, always be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that's within you. You ever had anybody ask that question? I have. I've had people ask me before it. Why are you different? Especially in my days back in college, working in a secular work environment. And some of the, I didn't do some of the things that other people did because I was a believer. And so people would say, what's different about you? Now I just get people asking me, why are you different? Because they think I'm weird. <laughs> but if you've ever had an opportunity to share, here's what's different about me. I used to be like that. I used to be like the people you see in the world, but something's changed in my life. Let's listen to the Apostle Paul begin his story. And this, this account that you're going to hear, we, we see the nuts and bolts of it three times in Scripture. This really is a defense that Paul has given, and I'll explain that in just a minute. Let me read the first few verses. Chapter 22, verses 1 and following. 
Brethren and followers, and fathers, hear my defense, which I now offer to you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew dialect, they became even more quiet. And he said, I'm a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated under Gamaliel, strictly according to the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, just as you all are today. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and putting both men and women into prisons. And also the high priest and all the council of the elders can testify. From them I also received letters to to the brethren and started off for Damascus in order to bring even those who were there to Jerusalem as prisoners to be punished. So let's look at Paul's life before Christ. Basically what he says is his life was very religious. Paul gets up to give a defense and he addresses them. Some translations say he says men and brothers and fathers. It's really just two words, but it's a, it's a uh, respectful greeting. In fact, it's the same greeting that Stephen used for his defense back in the seventh chapter of Acts. So Paul addresses this group of people, but he addresses them in their own language. See, they assumed that Paul was an ignorant Gentile or an ignorant Greek-speaking person. In fact, earlier in the previous chapter, when the jailer had come to arrest him, Paul says, may I say something to you in Greek? And that guy was impressed that he was speaking the Greek language. Now, these guys who are going to hear his defense, it says they become even more quiet and even more attentive because he's addressing them in the Hebrew language, their own language. And so he's offering a defense. Let me tell you what the charge was against Paul. If you go back to the previous chapter, verse 28, Paul is arrested basically for two things. He's arrested because he was accused of preaching against the Jewish people, and he's arrested for desecrating the temple by bringing a Gentile into the temple. So, in other words, he's arrested for anti-Semitism, and he's arrested for desecrating the temple. And they assumed that he had no business in the temple, that he was a Gentile, and they assumed he was preaching against something he knew nothing about. So Paul refutes both of those right here at the beginning. He says, first of all, I'm a Jew. I'm one of you. I'm not preaching against myself. I am a Jew. In fact, when Paul went into cities, he typically started with the Jews. If the city he went to had a synagogue, he went to the synagogue and preached there. He wasn't condemning the Jews. He was trying to tell the Jews the rest of the story. This Jesus whom we crucified is Lord. So he says, I'm a Jew. I was born in Tarsus, but early in my life, Paul's saying, I was brought to this town. I grew up in Jerusalem, in other words. I was educated under Gamaliel. Gamaliel was the leading rabbi of that time. In fact, literally what it says is, I sat at the feet of Gamaliel. And that was kind of the position, somewhat literally, but certainly figuratively, you kind of sat under the teaching of these rabbis, and Gamaliel was the most famous of all antiquity. And Paul says, so if you want to talk about education, I got the best there is. I'm a Jew. In fact, other places he says, I'm a Jew among Jews. I was a Pharisee. He says, not only was I a Jew, not only was I educated under Gamaliel, strictly according to the law of our fathers, but I was zealous. Paul wasn't just religious. He was zealous. He didn't just show up at church on Sunday and say, well, that's good enough for the week. Paul was going out hounding people that claimed not to be Jews. In other words, Jews that had become Christians He took it upon himself 
to go out and persecute them. He literally chased them all over the countryside, not just around Jerusalem. In fact, on the day he came to Christ, he was leaving to go to Damascus with letters from the Sanhedrin to go and arrest men and women and bring them back. And some of these people were beaten, and we know some of them were killed. In fact, we know that Paul was at the stoning of Stephen. Apparently, he was a young man at that time. If you go back to chapter 7 of Acts, it says that they, they took their cloaks off to stone Stephen and laid them at the feet of a young man, and his name was Saul. After he comes to Christ, his name's changed to Paul. But that's Paul's background. That's what Paul was. He was a persecutor of Christians. In fact, he said, hey, if I need to bring in corroborating testimony about my background, some of you right here can testify that I got letters from you of authority. I was I was a part of the special forces to go out and hound these new believers, a part of this thing called the way. That was kind of what they were known of in the first century. And it's because Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth. And the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. So they were kind of known by some as the way. In fact, the word Christian became really a term of derision. When the Jews wanted to make fun of these new believers, they called them Christ ones. Oh, those are those people that believe in Christ. And yet the believers took it upon as a mantle of honor to say, yeah, we'll, we'll be known as Christians. Because we are Christ ones. We are his followers. He is our Lord and our Savior. And Paul's background was very religious very zealous for the things of God, and a persecutor of Christians. Well, that's enough about his background. Let's look at how Paul came to faith in Christ. I love this word. It's going to happen twice in this passage. Paul basically says, but it happened. Here's what Paul's saying. My intention was to go to Damascus. I was going to do what I'd done countless times before. Paul says, I went in basically all the synagogues of that day to hound this new cult, as he would have called it, these Christians, to bring them back to justice in Jerusalem. I was on my way to Damascus. It happened about noontime. Now, why is it significant to know what time of day it was? Well, for one thing, Paul is going to see a bright light. If it had happened at night, you know, lightning appears a little brighter at nighttime. Listen, the light, the glory of God that Paul experienced was so incredible that even at noontime, when the sun would have been at its peak, it was still brighter than the noonday sun. It outshone the sun. So Paul says, as it happened, I'm on my way to Damascus, had a group of people with me. We were going to Damascus for one purpose, to arrest people, bring them back to Jerusalem. But all of a sudden, this bright light flashes around me, and it literally knocked Paul to the ground, blinded. And we know from a later uh, occurrence in Acts when he tells the story again, it knocked everybody to the ground. But apparently, everybody but Paul was able to stand back up. And then a voice speaks from heaven. And again, we know from Scripture that the people heard a sound. They did not understand the voice. They did not know who it was speaking or what was being said. All they experienced was this powerful light and being knocked to the ground. And now Paul is blinded, but the people were able to stand and see and could hear something but didn't hear the voice. And here's what the voice says to Paul. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I love the fact that Jesus takes it personally. Paul would have said, I'm not persecuting you. I'm persecuting these, these Christians. Jesus says, no, they're my children. So when you hurt one of them, you're hurting me. And so Paul looks up and he says, who are you, Lord? At this point, he's not yet calling him Lord because he's become a believer. That was just a term to basically say, hey, you're in charge. 
Lord, who are you? And Jesus says, I am Jesus the Nazarene, whom you are persecuting. Now, up to this point, what did Paul believe about Jesus? He believed the same thing the the Jews all believed. They believed that Jesus Christ was kind of a rabble-rouser, was a troublemaker that they had put to death. And the story, the party line was, what had happened to him is, after he'd been put to death, he was put in a tomb and his disciples came and stole his body. And they're now claiming that he's risen from the dead. Well, that's ridiculous. We talk about that on Easter a lot of times. But the tomb had a guard in front of it. And what happened is the guards, after the stone rolled away and they recognized that Jesus was gone, they went back to tell the authorities. And the authorities said, all right, here's the story. We're going to give you some money. If anybody asks what happened, his disciples came and stole his body. Sure, right. These guys that were so frightened, they were hiding in a room, are going to come and face a Roman guard who was trained for one thing, protect what you've been left in charge of, or it will cost you your life. And yeah, that's what Paul believed up till this moment. And when he hears that Jesus Christ is addressing him on the road to Damascus, and he recognizes that he's in the presence of the glory of God, I believe this is where life change happens. Paul. In fact, unfortunately, this is where life change is going to happen for some people that say they don't believe in God. You know, I see bumper stickers now that's just like people are proud they're atheists. <laughs> I don't believe in God. God doesn't exist. Well, you may believe that now, but five seconds after you're dead, you're not going to believe it anymore. And it's going to be too late. When you finally are in the presence of Almighty God, who you may have preached against your entire life. It's entirely, utterly too late at that point when you finally recognize, wow, I was wrong. Oops is not what you want to say after you die. And yet that's what Paul was basically saying, blinded, hearing a voice and asking the question, who are you? I'm Jesus. And he's thinking, wait a minute, we killed Jesus. In fact, I've been out persecuting the very people that claim you're alive. And then Paul asked the most significant Question, what should I do? Up to this point, Paul knew what to do. Paul was on mission. Paul knew what he was supposed to do. He was supposed to go hound these new believers. But he recognizes, I'm wrong. I'm not going after them anymore, so what do I do? Folks, that's where repentance happens. And that may sound like an overly religious word, but repentance simply means change. It means change of mind or change of direction. And Paul recognized the way I've been going is wrong. I don't want to go that way anymore. So, Lord, what do I do? And Jesus says simply, go, continue on to Damascus and wait there. And you'll be told what you're going to do. And we know the rest of the story from the other accounts, the account back earlier in Acts. He has to be led by the hand because he's still blind. In fact, he's blind for a period of days before Ananias comes. And so Paul shares this with these Jewish members of the Sanhedrin, this council that he's given a defense in front of. And he says, you know what? Ananias was a devout man, highly respected among the Jews. Now, obviously, Ananias had been a devout Jew who had come to faith in Christ. And Ananias had had a vision to go to Paul. And I imagine there was some fear and trepidation in Ananias. He's getting a sense from God, go over and you're going to meet a guy named Saul. And Ananias is thinking, wait a minute, I've heard of Saul. Saul kills people like me. Saul arrests and imprisons and beats people like me. 
And yet Ananias goes over to Saul. And he says this to him. Saul, look up at me. Your sight will be restored. In fact, the word's used twice in this passage. The first for Ananias saying, receive your sight. And then when it says, Paul says, I looked up at him. Same word. At that moment, Paul had a divine confirmation that what he had experienced on the road to Damascus was genuine. And that this Ananias that had been sent by God was truly sent by God. And that God had a plan for him. And so he looked up at him. And here's what Paul says that Ananias told him. And he tells this to the Jewish authorities. He said, the God of our fathers has appointed you and has revealed his will to you. You're going to see the righteous one. And you're going to hear an utterance from his mouth. And ultimately, you're going to be a witness of all that you've seen and heard. Men and women, I just want to say, when you have an opportunity to share your testimony, that's really all you can do. Just share what you've seen and heard. Don't be overwhelmed by not having all the answers. What do you do when you're sharing your testimony and leading someone in in faith and you're trying to explain Jesus to them and they ask you a question you don't know the answer to? Because that scares a lot of people. i got an answer for you. I don't know. Serious. If they ask you a question you don't know the answer to, just don't make something up. (laughs) Tell them, you know what, that's a good question. I don't know the answer to that, but I'll help you. We're going to find an answer to that. But let me tell you what I do know. I once was lost. I once was blind. But now I see. Let me tell you how that happened. And I think the reason some people never share their faith, some people are intimidated to share their testimony, is they're playing the what-if game that I don't know all the answers. Don't worry about all the answers. Do what Paul did. You're just going to tell your story. What you have understood, what's happened to you. And then Ananias says, why are you delaying? In fact, really, it's just kind of a colloquialism. It's just a word that that literally means, hey, here's the next step for you. Here's what you need to do. You need to get up and be baptized. And you need to have your sins washed away, calling upon the name of Jesus. And so Paul obviously does that. Called upon the name. In fact, he tells us about it over in Romans. Paul didn't write Acts, but he wrote Romans. If you want to flip in your Bible or just listen to me, Romans 10. Let me just read a passage of Paul explaining faith in Christ. Romans 10, 9 through 15. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. For the Scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, abounding in riches for all who call on him. Verse 13, listen to this. For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? How then will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? And how will they preach unless they are sent, just as it is written? And here's the verse I started with. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. So Paul had the same message delivered by Ananias that you and I do. Listen, if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ as your Savior, he's tugging at your heart this morning. Same thing that Paul asked. What should I do? And God says, well, I'm going to send somebody to tell you what you need to do. I'm going to send a preacher. And in case you're back there thinking, well, then I guess what I need to do is get people to hear a preacher. No, you're the preacher. God had a ministry for Paul. He's got a ministry for you. 
Your faith in Christ is personal, but it should never be private. I've kind of heard people say that. Well, you know, I just I don't have, my faith is personal. Okay, yeah, it's personal. It's between you and God. But nowhere in Scripture does it say it's private. In other words, I'm just going to keep it to myself. In fact, it says, don't be like a lampstand or a lamp that's hid under a bushel. Take it off. Live the light in front of people so they ask the question, what's different about you? And you have an opportunity to give the reason for the hope that is within you. Then the last thing, and folks, this needs to be the third part of our testimony. What's life like now? Tell people, hey, here's what Jesus has done in my life, and this is what he's doing in my life now. God did not save you to leave you a pew potato. Y'all ever heard that term? Somebody asked me one day, you used the term, did you say perpetrator? I said, no. I said pew potato. God's got a plan for your life. He's got a ministry for you. He had a ministry for Paul. He's got a ministry for you. It's not just for those of us that are paid to be good. It's for those of you that are good for nothing. All right? So Paul's got a ministry for you. Not Paul. God has a ministry for you. God had a ministry for Paul. And so here's how Paul describes that. It happened. Here it is again. Paul says, all right, here's what happened. I left Damascus, and it was a while that it took him to get back to Jerusalem, but he gets to Jerusalem and praying in the temple, he fell into a trance. Now, when the Jews heard that, that was not out of the ordinary. They would receive that gladly to hear that you had come to the temple to pray and that you had had a vision while you were there was not out of the ordinary for them. So they're listening to all this very intently. Paul says, in the trance, someone said to me, and I realized it was Jesus saying, make haste quickly. What Jesus is basically saying is, you need to get up in a hurry and you're going to leave Jerusalem because I'm sending you as a missionary to the nations. Literally, when he says, I'm going to send you to the Gentiles, the word Gentile is really just the word ethnos, ethnic group. I'm sending you to somebody that's not like you. And yeah, Paul started out ministering to the Jews, but it wasn't very long before his ministry was really almost more exclusively to the Gentiles. In fact, even in Ephesus that we studied just a couple of weeks ago, he spent the first two or three months in the synagogue. For the next two plus years, he spent ministering to the folks who would never go to the synagogue. And so Jesus says, you're going to leave here. In fact, Paul's life was in danger. And, and Paul kind of describes to Jesus in this passage about, you know, this is what people think about me. And Jesus says, I know what I'm doing. Just listen. And the last thing Paul says that totally upsets the apple cart, because Paul obeyed God. Paul went away to the nations. And up from that point of salvation to here, years have passed. I mean, like 10 plus years have passed. And he's now back in Jerusalem. And Paul knew that he was near the end of his life. He knew that he was about to be arrested, put in prison. And that was going to happen multiple times. And, and tradition tells us that Paul ultimately was killed by having his head severed. But the thing that Paul said that really ticked him off was he says, I've been sent away to the Gentiles. And what that meant for a Jew is, wait a minute, you're telling me that God is trying to put the Gentiles on equal footing with the Jews? And at that moment, Paul hadn't finished his defense. He wasn't through with his speech. But the people started shouting. The people that were listening to him started shouting. They stood up. They raised their voice. Ultimately, they would start tearing their robes off and throwing dirt in the air. A sign of several things. Number one, I think they were getting ready to stone him. 
So they were getting their pitching arm warmed up. They're also showing sign of mourning. They just heard blasphemy, so they're throwing dirt in the air. And they said this, Away from the earth, take this one away. He should not be allowed to live. See, for a Jew, they knew Deuteronomy 13, 15, and that is this. Listen, if somebody comes preaching a strange doctrine and trying to lead people astray to some strange teaching, put them to death. And yet Paul wasn't teaching strange teaching. He was teaching the very fulfillment of what God had been up to in the entire Old Testament. To bring it to fruition, to Jesus Christ dying on the cross, paying the penalty for sin, so that we could know God through faith in Jesus Christ. He should not be allowed to live. Folks, probably some of the very same people that on that day screamed out about Paul were some of the same people that had screamed out about Jesus years earlier. Certainly the same group and probably some of the same individuals who had heard enough, they didn't get it. So what? Just three thoughts to close with this morning. How do we apply this to your life? This occurred 2,000 years ago. Well, it's a testimony, it's a model of a testimony that we can apply, but first thought is this, God has a plan for you. Don't be a pew potato. God has a plan for you. And ask God the question. If, if you are a believer, then ask God the question, God, what's my ministry? Now, you may be a school teacher. You may be a doctor, a lawyer. You may be a shopkeeper. You may be a salesperson, whatever. That may be your vocation, and you may be called to that vocation. But God's also got a ministry for you to be involved in. Ask Him the question, God, what am I supposed to be doing? Beyond just making a living and, and bringing finances in to support my family, what is it I'm supposed to be a part of? God's got a ministry for you. Second, share Jesus. Share what Jesus has done in your life. Just tell your story. Tell your story. Most of you are not going to go through neighborhoods knocking on doors. Sometimes that's appropriate. Most of the time what's more appropriate is the people you contact with at school, at your job, your next-door neighbor, or at family reunions. When you have the opportunity to just say, let me just tell you what God's doing in my life. And God will have ears open to hear. And somebody will need to hear a positive testimony because they're searching themselves. God is drawing them to himself. And they need to hear how to come to faith in Christ. So tell your story. And the last thing, Christianity is personal, but please don't allow it to be private. Don't hide your light under a bushel. But let people see who Jesus is in and through your life. Let's pray together. Bow your heads. Father, thank you for this passage where we see the Apostle Paul living out his faith and the opportunities that he had. What an incredible journey he was on to face the beatings and the shipwreck and the rocks being thrown at him until people thought he was dead. And Ultimately, Paul would take this newfound faith and he would take it to the nations. And it would ultimately cost him his life. Thank you for the boldness of Paul that even though what he said was not popular, it was not politically correct in the circles he was in, and yet he was a faithful witness. God, would we be the same? God, protect us from offending people just for the sake of offending them. But God, the truth is the gospel is offensive. And 
So, Lord, as we live out the Christian life, there's some that are going to reject our witness. May we be reminded that, God, they're not rejecting us. They're rejecting you. And you take that personally. The same thing you said to the Apostle Paul. Why are you persecuting me? God, as long as we're faithful, we'll leave the response, the results up to you. Because we don't have the capacity to save anybody. But you do. And so, God, for those in this room that know you as their Lord and Savior, God, help us to live the model testimony in front of people. May our life live in such a way that they would understand the words that we would add to support the reason for the hope that's within us. But then also, if there's anyone here that has never trusted you as Lord and Savior, God, I pray today would be the day where they recognize, hey, there is a Savior, and He's got a plan for my life. May the day be the day of salvation. We pray this in Christ's name.